0: Well, good morning, everybody. I want to especially welcome those of you that might be guests and visitors who have come this day specifically to celebrate your mom, to honor your mom, to appease your mom. Uh, Moms can be very persuasive, and whatever brought you here today, we're really glad that you are here. Uh, This is my first Mother's Day without my own mom. She passed away in October, and I'm missing her today. And I know many of you are missing your moms as well. There is nothing quite like a mother. As an act of solidarity, I'd like to ask for a show of hands today. Uh, Would you please raise your hand here in the room and online, if you would. uh, Raise your hand if you have ever personally had a mother. Would you please raise your hands today? Let's kind of agree on that. Yeah, second question, also an act of solidarity. How many of you have ever been part of an imperfect family? Would you raise your hands today? All the imperfect families. Good, glad you're uh, here today. One of the striking things about the Bible is how very normal the people in the Bible are. You might expect the heroes of the Bible to be all wise or all loving or all brave, but in fact, they are very, very human. The book of Genesis, in particular, Uh, includes an embarrassing level of detail about the people through whom God brought his people. There is drunkenness, deception, polygamy, incest, murder, lust, anger, and the writers of the Bible don't even attempt to cover up these sordid details. It's like the writers of the Bible want us to know that there really is only one hero of the Bible, and that is God himself. God is the hero of the Bible, and God works through fallible, fallen human beings. Over the last month, our church has been in a study in a series called How to Make a Bad Decision, and our textbook has been the Old Testament. We've been looking at some of the worst decisions ever made recorded in the Bible in an attempt to learn how to not make bad decisions, how to instead make good decisions, and today we're going to extend the series with a a special bonus edition, How to Make a Bad Decision Parent Version, Family Version. Five weeks ago, we looked at the story of a man named Esau recorded in the Bible, and today we're going to look at his family In particular, we're going to look at his parents. Uh, This is one of the most famous families in the Bible. And you heard read just part of their story from Genesis chapter 25. But the story of this family will continue in the Bible for another eight chapters. This may be the most extensive treatment of a family anywhere in Scripture. And the more you read about this family, the more you realize that everybody in this family did almost everything wrong almost everything wrong Uh, this family is so dysfunctional they're going to make your family and mine seem not so bad and today we put some resources in the news feed Uh, today we put together a list of books and websites and even recommended local counselors uh, and it's on the newsfeed. If you're using the Ward Church app, you can scroll through and find it, or click the button that says News. If you're on a computer, you can go to ward.church/newsfeed. All recommended resources by the Ward Church staff. Today, we're going to look at a case study of a really unhealthy family in the Bible, and we're going to look at many of the common mistakes that families make. And then we're going to look at the end of the story about one thing this family really got right. And before we do that, let's uh, pray together. God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for creating families in which we can learn, live, and love. Give us your wisdom for all of human relationships. Holy Spirit, now be our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's walk through this great story. Isaac and Rebecca get married, and they want to start a family, but they have to wait 20 years. Rebecca is barren for 20 years. And some of you know the pain of infertility. In this story, Rebecca eventually gets pregnant, and she gives birth, and it says, you heard this read in Genesis 25, the first baby to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And language scholars tell us that the name Esau probably means hairy. This baby came out like a red, hairy garment. Sounds like a really beautiful baby, does he not? Uh, now, parents, you might want to think twice about naming your child after his worst physical feature. That's the first bad decision this family makes. Esau wasn't a name in any baby book. It wasn't even really a, a boy's name. It'd be like saying, this is our son, Whiskers. You know, uh. A second baby comes out grabbing at the first baby's heel, and so they name him Jacob, which may mean the grabber. Two twin boys, Harry and the grabber. And in verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. And then comes the killer verse, the, the, the words upon which this whole tragic story rests. Verse 28, Isaac, dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah Mom loved Jacob. You want to mess up a family? Play favorites. Compare one kid against another. Ask a child, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like somebody else? And some of you know what this is like. And this is what happens in this family. Esau was outdoorsy and athletic. He was strong and courageous. He excelled at hunting and probably played sports in high school. He fed his dad's ego the way sporty kids do in some families. Isaac, on the other hand, was a homebody. He preferred to be indoors. He was more comfortable with a book than a baseball, and he was quiet and slight. Can you believe that two twin boys could be so different? Now, you might remember that I am a twin myself, And we're very different, my twin and I. People ask, are you identical twins? And no, we are not identical twins. I am bald and she is not. (laughs) Esau and Jacob were twins, but they were very, very different. When lined up to be chosen for sports teams, Esau was chosen first on the playground and Jacob was chosen last. Now you might expect children on a playground to choose for their teams... But this sounds like that's what these parents are doing. They're choosing for their own team. Again, verse 28, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob. They never said it aloud, but everybody knew it, including Esau and Jacob. You want to mess up a family, do what these parents did. Learn how to play favorites. Learn how to direct love toward one child and away from another. And on the other side, if you really want to build a great family, honor the raw material of everybody in it. I have three children, and every one of them is different. Isn't it amazing how early kids show their personalities? When our two boys, who are close in age, were young, uh, they showed lots of similarities, but also lots of differences. One of them was into video games, and the other liked to draw. One sought attention, and one avoided it. They both have a great sense of humor, but in different ways. Uh, One was motivated by verbal affirmation, the other by cold, hard cash. When younger sister came along seven years later, we wondered, will she be more like son number one, or will she be more like son number two? And she has proven she is her own person altogether. Everybody in my family shares some similarities You might call them quirks, but every member of the family is unique. If you love somebody, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent, you become the world's greatest student of that person. What are they like? What are they afraid of? What makes them light up? What are they drawn toward? And instead of trying to mold them into the person you think they ought to be, You honor the person that God made them to be. You affirm them for that. So tell your kids and your grandkids that you love them. Say the words. Say the words even if it's awkward to say them. Say the words even if the child never says them back. Your kids and grandkids need to hear you say the words. They need to know that they are loved and valued as they are. Another way to mess up a family. In chapter 27 of Genesis, Isaac is now an old man, he's virtually blind, he's very weak, and he doesn't have long to live. And he calls in Esau, his favorite son, and he says this, recorded in Genesis 27 verse 3, now then get your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now we've talked about this here before that the the, the birthright and the blessing are not exactly the same thing, but they are related. And together it's kind of like the will And the transfer of family leadership and a special spiritual blessing all rolled into one. Now, the firstborn son would receive a double portion of the inheritance, but not all of it. Every child would receive something. The firstborn son received a very special spiritual blessing, but every child in the family would receive a blessing from their parents. And here Isaac does the unthinkable. He calls in Esau and plans to give the blessing to him only. He's going to shut Jacob out. And Jacob and Esau make this secret plan and they don't let Rebecca or Jacob uh, know about it. And now as it happens, Rebecca is eavesdropping and overhears the entire conversation. Anybody else have a family with privacy issues? Yeah, that was this family as well. Uh, Rebecca could burst in at any moment and say, Husband, what's going on? Can we talk about this? But she doesn't do that. Instead, she develops her own secret plan with her own favorite son. In fact, one of the striking things about this family is that Isaac and Rebecca, husband and wife, mom and dad, never talk about this stuff at all. It's the elephant in the room. Everybody sees what's going on. There's overt favoritism and misguided love. It's damaging the kids, it's killing the family, and nobody ever says anything. They form secret alliances. Rebecca and Jacob conspire to fool Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing instead of Esau. Rebecca will make some of that stew that Isaac likes so much, and Jacob will deliver it to Isaac dressed as Esau, even to the extent of putting goat hair on his arms so he will feel and smell like his older twin brother. The story is told with great artistry. This is an amazingly well-told story. It's like a movie scene. Jacob is in there trying to scam his dad. At any moment, somebody could walk in and interrupt the plot. Jacob walks into his dad's room, dressed as Esau. Isaac, now virtually blind, Says, who is it? And verse 19 says, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Now, why does he add that last phrase? There's only one Esau. There's no mistake about which Esau we're talking about. This is Jacob leaking bitterness. This is Esau, your firstborn, the one that really matters to you, right, Dad? The one who has your heart, the one for whom your eyes light up when you see. Your eyes have never lit up that way for me. And now you're old, and you're blind, and you're going to die, and I will never see those eyes light up for me. Inside the heart of every child is this deep, deep need to know that they can make their father's eyes light up. That's the pain being expressed here. This is Esau, your firstborn. The plan works, and Jacob gets the blessing. And as soon as uh, he leaves the room, Esau comes in, and Esau figures out what's happened, and Esau trembles, and he says in verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. It's really hard to find any winners in this story. No one really gets what they want. Jacob got the legal blessing, but what he really wanted was the love of his father. And as a result of the tension, Jacob will have to leave home for 20 years. And his mom, who was trying to set him up to succeed, will never see him again. You wanna mess up a family. Make deception your standard mode of operation. Shade the truth. Try to manipulate each other. On the other hand, if you wanna build a really great family, Commit to speak the truth in love. When unhealthy dynamics surface, and they will, for your sake, for the family's sake, for God's sake, talk about it. Think of how different the story of this family might have gone if mom and dad had just had one honest conversation. Another way to mess up a family. How many of you have ever gotten angry at a family member? Anybody here? How many of you got angry at a family member today? Anybody still angry? Yeah. Anger and resentment become dominant themes in the life of the Jacobson family that we are studying today. When Rebecca gets pregnant, the text literally says these two twins were, were, were smashed, smashing each other around in the womb. This is a foreshadowing of the kind of relationship these brothers are going to have. Genesis 27, 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, at least he's got his priorities in order. Uh, You know, first we'll mourn for my father and then I will kill my brother. Because it would be rude to kill my brother before the time of mourning is over. If you want to mess up a family, Let the kids sort out their emotions all by themselves. Give them zero coaching on how to deal with anger. On the other hand, if you want to build a really great family, make a commitment to teach everybody in the family how to handle conflict in healthy ways. Teach them to seek God's wisdom in anger management, help them to know what's off limits. Well, we had to do this in our house. We had to say to our kids occasionally, look, I know you're angry and your anger may even be justified, but you may never hit. Physical expressions of anger are off limits. Name calling is off limits. It's not appropriate and it's not helpful. If you're married, you have to agree what's off limits that in the heat of an argument, neither one of us will ever say, I don't love you. It's off the table. Every time there's an argument or conflict, it's an opportunity to teach members of the family about anger management. And when they get it right, when they're kids, we can affirm them. I'm so proud of the way you handled that. You were angry and you handled your anger in such God-honoring ways. Way to go. Our kids need to hear that from us. Lots, lots of mistakes in this story of this family. Favoritism, deception, mismanaged anger. This family gets a lot of things wrong. But I want you to notice here that in spite of all the dysfunction, God still used this family. God built his people through this family. God still worked powerfully through this family. And that ought to give all of us a lot of hope. Now, Fast forward to the very end of this story. Chapters later, Jacob has run away because his brother has threatened his life and he stays with his uncle Laban. And Laban turns out to be even a bigger scam artist than Jacob and Jacob the deceiver becomes Jacob the deceived. And he learns some hard lessons and God changes him and Jacob prays about it and he decides that he's going to return home. This will mean facing his brother Esau. This is putting his own life on the line. And he starts back home, and this is recorded now in Genesis 32, verse 13. Jacob spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he had selected a gift for his brother Esau. And here's the gift. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. A gift card would have been so much easier. Uh, Jacob decides to send some gifts on ahead of him to soften his brother Esau up. And look at how many gifts he sent This gives an indicator of how non-confident Jacob is. He doesn't know how this is going to work out. Has Esau's anger subsided? Is 20 years long enough for forgiveness? Will bitter words be exchanged? Will fists fly? Jacob looks up, and there's Esau and 400 men marching in his direction, and Jacob thinks, I am a dead man. And then these beautiful words, Genesis 33, 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him, and they wept. Isn't that cool? All those years, these guys lived as enemies. 20 years estranged, and now they are brothers once more. Only God, only God can heal those kind of wounds. And maybe some of you are facing a similar situation. Maybe some of you have brothers or sisters or parents or grown children who have become strangers to you. Maybe you have wounds that are too deep for words. God can heal. God can change human hearts. God can rekindle love. Jesus can do for us, in us, things that we could never do for ourselves. So ask yourself this week, where does God want to be at work in me and through me and through my family? What issues does my family need to talk about? What is the elephant in our family room that needs to be named? The the brothers in our story get a lot of things wrong, but they got this one thing right. They invite God back in. They invite God to shape them And they reconcile and become brothers again. One of the greatest family stories in all of scriptures. Let's pray together. God of grace and power, thank you for our families. We humbly ask your blessing on every family represented here today. Grant to each one of us exactly what is needed to make our family life healthy and God-honoring. To those who need boldness to speak the truth... Grant boldness and courage. To those who need the strength to forgive somebody, give supernatural strength and power. To those who need hope to make it through another day, bring hope that sustains. Give to each of us wisdom in our relational life so that all of our relationships may give you glory, Father. We pray now for those who may be ready to invite you, God, back into their own lives. There are some here today who would say to you, God, I recognize that the relationship in my life that's broken is the one I have with you. So God, I want to reconcile. I want to return home. Forgive my willful stubbornness and receive me once more as your child. Come into my life as Lord and let us begin our relationship again. God, our Father, we pray for those who are just beginning a walk with you, for those who have been walking with you for many years. Thank you for journeying with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. Amen.